just want to tell you that there's nothing that will quench the spirit like a sound system. Now you walked in today not having a clue. Y'all gonna be there the you're gonna be there the whole time, right? Man, they they look great, they sounded great. Thank you for doing that. You didn't have a clue what you came here today to experience. But you've already you've already heard, you've already participated, you've you've met with Jesus Christ the Savior of the world who is desiring to break your chains today. There my soul found liberty at Calvary, and you can do that as well. There were some of you during that song, I'm not certain why you were even holding back because you were desiring to fall at the feet of Jesus at the altar and you were sitting there wondering if anyone would, would even matter, would it matter if you stayed in your seat and you, you knew that God was calling you to cry out to him and to bow down and to worship at his feet. And we're going to give you that opportunity in a few minutes because this is not a time when we come to church just to check it off the list and say, God, we have come to please you, this is, a, this is a time that gives us an excuse to bow at the feet of Jesus and say, you saved me from my sins. And no one else could do that. This is a day of celebration. We've seen baptism. We've heard the choir sing. We've heard wonderful worship. This is a day of celebration. I, I want to tell you, I love your church. I'm grateful to be here because I hear things in the community Last week, I had a guy that pulled me aside and he said, where are you going to church? I said, well, my family and I have been attending Party Street. I'm the associational mission strategist. I visit different churches, but my family and I have been attending Party Street. And I said, God worked it out in an incredible way that the month of September, I've had no preaching engagements other than today at, at Hardy Street. And I said, so I've been able to, to introduce my family to the, the church at Party Street. And do you know what he said? He said, I've not heard anything but good things from Hardy Street in the last year. Celebrate. God is doing a miraculous work at Hardy Street Baptist Church. There is a revival fire. We can see the embers glowing, and we know that the breath of the Holy Spirit will begin to fan those flames. God still wants to change lives right here in this part of the city. I assure you that he is at work, and he desires to see it happen through his bride, the church. I love your pastor. I celebrate your pastor in Salmon, Idaho this morning. He texted me the other day and his, his screenshot of his weather on, on his phone where I was, I was in Baltimore earlier in the week so we were conversing back and forth. It was hot in Baltimore. We took Mississippi weather with us to Baltimore. We were sweating. They don't know how to use air conditioning like we know how to use air conditioning. They have it there for, just the thermostat is there for looks. It's not there to be used. 
We were sweating down. They double-checked us in the airport. We had backpacks on our walking through the airport. We'd go through that heat sensor, and they looked at our back. You ain't from here, are you? I'm like, absolutely not. We are burning up in your city. Turn the air on. And your pastor sent me a message, 42 degrees on Friday morning. <laughs> Loving it. I love your pastor. I don't know of an individual who loves this church more than he does, other than Jesus Christ himself. He is a tremendous fit because of his vision and his passion to see this part of Hattiesburg reached. He and I are good friends. I don't know how that happened, but he is the least arrogant Alabama fan that I've ever met. I didn't know they existed. I'm serious. It's like finding a spotted unicorn to find a humbled Alabama fan. But he, he acts like Jesus, even when we talk about football. It's amazing. We are on opposite sides. It's, we, they've beaten us the last six times, and probably seven is on its way. I understand it. But he treats me like Jesus would, which means he doesn't even talk about it. Like to my face, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. I love his heart. I love the fact that he prays for you. And it's an honor to fill his pulpit. Now, I didn't like the fact that he gave me the passage of Scripture to preach, which is Joshua chapter 24. So I want you to turn to that because I've struggled with it because this is his sermon series. And, and I, I felt like maybe he, was, maybe he was getting out of some duties because... Mike Palmer came in here and preached to you about Rahab. And I was very concerned about what my passage of Scripture was going to be about. I said, let me read it before I agree to saying I'm going to preach. He said, we're finishing it up. It's chapter 24. Preach the whole chapter or as much of it as you want to. So I've been reading... I've been reading this passage of Scripture for the last two months, consistently, every day, reading this passage of Scripture. And I'm begging God this morning that He would speak to our hearts today. Not so that we can walk out of here and say, look what we learned. So that when we leave this morning... be able to say God look what you did look who you are join me in a word of prayer God we thank you for what you're doing for the lives that you're changing we pray that for the next few moments of this anointed time you would speak so that we would be changed. We ask these things in the precious and holy name of your son Jesus. Amen. So it's 28 verses. It's the last chapter of Joshua. 
Joshua is an older individual at this time. He is, uh, well, he's over 100. And he's gathered all of his people together to a place at Shechem. I think I have a, a photo of what Shechem looks like. Shechem is this natural amphitheater. You did not get a photo. So all of the other photos, you don't, or you just don't have that one photo. I, I'm gonna, if somebody will go get my little iPhone, we'll pass it around and you can see those photos. What am I talking about? You've got Google, you've been on Facebook for the last 30 minutes. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Have you really? No, okay. Then I'm just checking into church. Um, Y'all act like you've never done that. I gotta check in so my people know I went to church today. When they see me at Chesterfields, they'll, they won't have to ask. Um, well, y'all getting all offended now, aren't you? What is up? No, I, I get it. I understand. I want you to do that. Well, if you were to Google Shechem, you would see that it looked very similar to where Pastor Scott was. Actually, there were mountains behind him, and the same in Shechem. There were, it's like a natural amphitheater. And so that's where Joshua brought all of his people to, the, the leaders. Chapter 23, chapter 24, he gathers the leaders of Israel, and, and, and it's been used before. Shechem was used. Abraham uh, used it a couple of times, so it was considered uh, consecrated. It was considered an area in which uh, God had moved. Uh, Abraham had used it for, uh, that's where God told him, gave him a promise that this land I'm going to give to your descendants. Uh, and so we know that modern-day Shechem uh, would actually be in, in what's considered Samaria. Um, you know about Samaria. That's the, the region of the land in which it's part of the promised land, but it was a region that was uh, the Jews would not go through. They would pass around it. Jesus finds himself in Samaria. It, there's great um, uh, prejudices against the Samaritans. Jesus, in fact, finds the Samaritan woman at the well. That well is Jacob's well. Uh, it was part of the, the inheritance. And so all of that, and then you're going, this is a boring history lesson. Yeah, it's John. I didn't pick out the passage. Your pastor did. Don't, don't blame me. It's, it's his sermon series. So what do we know from this? Well, let me just give you the, the synopsis of it. Uh, Joshua brings all of the leaders together, and, and he begins to remind them. He wants to help them remember, um, remembering that the, the goodness of God's grace, okay? He, he speaks to them, and he says, listen, I'm giving you a recap of everything that has happened up to this point, that even from Abraham, he's brought us out. We've defeated uh, all of the, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Gibbites, the Megabites, and the Gigabites, okay? We've defeated all of those, and, and, and God has done something some incredible things, so don't forget about it. You need to remember God's goodness of his grace. Now, some of that was just generic grace or general grace. Um, when he speaks about all of these things, they, didn't, they weren't a part of it. They, they weren't uh, individually a part of it, but collectively, God's grace rained down on them, and you experienced that as well. You didn't choose to be born in a country where there is religious liberty. So it doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you more blessed. It's simply the fact that God's grace was, was given to you. Some of these are very specific, though. Some of the grace that is spoken of is very specific. I, I want you to look in verse 12. Joshua is 
speaking, thus saith the Lord. This is a thus saith the Lord message that he's giving to them. From verse 2 to verse 13 or 14, 18 times the Lord says, I, I did this, I did that, I brought you, I delivered you, I fought battles for you, I did all of it. 18 times in those 10 verses or so. And, and in verse 12, he says, you need to be reminded that I sent the hornet before you and it drove out the two kings of the Amorites from before you, but not by your sword or bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities which you had not built. You lived in them. You were eating of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Specifically, God is telling all of these leaders of Israel that I am at work and you probably didn't even realize what I'm doing. He speaks of the hornet, the vineyard, and the olive. He says you're, you're eating of the fruit that you did not labor from. You're living in cities you did not build. That, and this hornet, I don't understand what it is. In fact, it's mentioned three times in the Old Testament that God will send a hornet, but we never see that he does other than the fact that here he claims that I did send the hornet. It was there. We don't know if it's the pesky little insect that, that stings that builds the nest. We don't know if it's the spirit of God that, that, that pierces like a hornet sting would. We don't really know what the hornet is. Scholars disagree. I'm going to take it for its word and understand that, that God is capable of sending plagues of whatever he wants to, that he's God of the insects just like he's God of the universe. And, and so he sent these hornets specifically to defeat these kings. And yet all of the Israelites who were there had to be thinking, look, look at all that we've done. And Joshua says, wait just a minute. God has done these things. I was in Baltimore Thursday and Friday. I took five pastors from the area. We met, we met another 11 pastors from the state of Mississippi. We were looking at meeting with church planters in the city of Baltimore. I've never been to Baltimore, didn't know anything about Baltimore other than two things. The Orioles and crab cakes. And I'm going to tell you, I got to experience one of those, and it wasn't the Orioles. They are good. It's a beautiful city. It is old. We met many, we met eight different church planners who shared with us about the city of Baltimore. And the statistic that stuck out in my mind was that there are 70,000 heroin addicts in the city of Baltimore. Let that wash over you for just a moment. 70,000. Imagine if every, if every person who came into the city of Hattiesburg proper tomorrow, every person lived here, worked here, went to the doctor here, went to school here, 70,000. Imagine if you encountered 
every person in Hattiesburg, and they were a slave to heroin. And yet, we met their children who drop out of school. 70% of them drop out of school between the ninth and 10th grade. They don't understand in this particular area, neighborhood in which we visited, they don't understand that there's a life outside of that. They don't understand that chains can be broken. They don't understand that there is a liberator in Jesus Christ. They've never been taught that they don't have to be sold by their parents for drug money. They've never been, and when I say their parents, what I really mean is some adult figure that is in their life treating them as a child. They don't understand that you can sit around a dinner table and have a conversation as a family. They've never experienced that, and the church is losing the battle not because we don't have a victor we have a victor in Jesus Christ but we're losing the battle because we're afraid to offend someone by sharing the news of Jesus Christ and God said I've done all of these things I've been with you the entire time I provided the hornet the vineyard and the olive and yet you forget that I love you specifically as well What can he do in Hattiesburg? We don't have those problems in Hattiesburg, right? I'm excited to say that we don't have a single person in Hattiesburg that's addicted to drugs. We don't have a single marriage in Hattiesburg or the Pine Belt that's ever been broken. We don't have a, a single issue of children being abandoned in the Pine Belt. Lostness is all around us. And we have the greatest news ever given in which God says, I will deliver you. And yet we remain silent. Joshua is just reminding them of all of the goodness of God's grace. Then in verse 14, it's the most famous verse in all of Joshua. When Joshua says, you need to fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. This 14 and 15, it's a, it's a culmination. These, these, uh, these issues here that Joshua is dealing with, he takes a stand. It is no longer him saying, thus saith the Lord, but now Joshua is speaking to the people as their spiritual leader. And he demands, because God demands it, the removal of idols and other gods from their lives. He says, this is verse 15, if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, why would it be disagreeable in their sight to serve the Lord? Do you remember this entire sermon series is the courageous faith? It's courageous faith of Joshua, God telling him, fear not, be, be of great courage that you need to be this leader. And all of this God says, I go before you, I'm, I'm with you, I'm giving you the land that you have inherited. I promised you this land and now I will give it to you. And, and, and yet, there are a couple of times whenever the people of Israel, they sin against God. They remember very well the penalty of sin. Just a couple of weeks ago, your pastor preached about Achan who stole the goods in the city of Ai, 
takes the, he hides them. There's sin among the camp. And they remembered that the penalty of sin is death. So why in the world would Joshua tell them, you need to choose? What kind of choice is that? It's not a choice. Here's, here's what he says. He says, verse 15, if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your forefathers served, which were beyond the river, the gods of the Amorites in, which your land, in, in whose land you are living now. But as for me in my house, what? You probably have a sign that you purchased from Lifeway or Kirkland's, just depending on which one had it on sale or where you got the coupon. And it says somewhere in your house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's a hundred and possibly close to, to 110, which is the age he's going to be whenever he dies. And he's still making a promise, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because if he chooses the alternative, God is a jealous God. He is one in which, and in fact, I, it's not my words, it's scriptures. It, it's, it, it's God's word. The people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. That's hilarious to me. These are the Israelites we're talking about. How dare you? How dare you think that we would ever serve other gods? Oh, really? Where was Moses? Well, he went up onto the mountain to meet with God, and we decided to take all of our gold and to, to turn it into a, a golden calf to worship. You remember those days? Joshua, how dare you think that we would ever forsake the God of our forefather? How could we ever do that? Here's what Joshua answers. They said, far be it from us, we should forsake the Lord. Verse 16, for the Lord, our God, is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Yes, yes, yes. The Lord drove out from them before the people. All of this is history. Then in verse 19, Joshua answers the people and said, you won't be able to serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. You're not going to be able to. Yes, we will. No, you're not. For he is a holy God, he is a jealous God. In fact, he will not forgive your transgression or your sins. Did I just read that right? That God will not be able to forgive my transgressions or my sins. Now, I believe the Bible to be 100% true. So possibly my version is different than yours, in which my ver maybe they left a word out in mine. Does it, say, does it honestly say God will not forgive your transgression or your sins? Thank you, choir. I can count on you. No one else, but I can count on you. Yes. No, you can't. We want to serve God. No, you're, you're not. You, you can't. But we want to, and you can't. You're not going to be able to because once you sin, because we see it's a pattern that you'll follow, then you'll fade away. Follow, fade away. Don't act like the Israelites are the only one who do this because I know that in my life, I follow, fade away, follow, fade away. And yet he says God will not be able to forgive you of your transgressions nor your sins. So I'm busted and I'm hopeless. If I don't have someone to forgive me of my transgressions and my sin, that's a problem. 
Now, earlier, when we sang about there my burdened soul found liberty, when we sang about the stone was rolled away, forever he is alive, you felt incredible you felt this incredible desire, and I'm not talking about feelings within your heart that were those cinnamon rolls you had for breakfast this morning. I, what I'm talking about is the fact that God was drawing you to him this very morning, and you said, I am a slave to particular sins, and I need to give those to God. I am ready to serve him and him alone. But Joshua says, nah, you're, he's not going to be able to forgive your transgressions nor your sins. Because if you do, in verse 20, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and do you harm. He will consume you after he has done good to you. It's a demand from God that we are to remove any sort of idols or other gods from our lives. What do you have today? Because I'm going to tell you, this, this should put the fear of an almighty God within your life. That if there's a, there's a false God in your life, Remove it. How? Confess. Cry out. They said, we want to serve God. Ah, you know, you're going to fall back into this pattern. No, we really want to serve God. Then you need to remove every false idol from your life. What is that for you, family? What's keeping you from the main focus of who God is? I can't answer that for you. Well, I can give you some examples. I can give you some ideas of what that is, whether it's your job that is success. And we can just keep going down the line. And for most of us, it's our own, it's our own life. That becomes our God. And there's a reason why Jesus says, if you want to be one of my disciples, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. You see, that's my issue, is that my life gets in the way. I forget that I am to die to self to put Christ first in everything. can't you got to get rid of the idols can I tell you that today is a good start for that for you it's a good day to start it's a great day I would love to see families on this day of celebration because the I, I call all of these the, I did it in the church where I pastored everywhere I go this these who sang earlier, I know you think that I'm pointing to absolutely, I'm talking about the children that were up here earlier. Those are what I consider to be the precious little ones. That's the life of your church, by the way. That's the breath. People walk, people used to apologize, I'm so sorry my baby cried. What? That's what babies do. I want to hear that. Because if, you if you're not hearing that, there's no life. To my heart, 
so good to see families teaching their children. Come to the altar and pray and confess and say, we will serve the Lord. He wants us to remember God's goodness, yes, and His goodness and grace. He wants us to remove all idols. These are truths about this historical book. And, and, I, and I, as I read this, I, I always ask myself, is this just ancient history, or does it have any relevance today? Look what happens. He, he makes a covenant because the people reassure him. No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, great. You, he didn't, I, I add that, that's my translation. You are witnesses against yourselves that you've chosen for yourself the Lord to serve him. And they said, yes, we are witnesses. He said, I, I want you to know what you just said. And they said, we heard it. We, we understand. We are in this together. Verse 23, therefore put away the gods which are in your midst and incline your hearts to the Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said again, we will serve the Lord, our God, and we will obey his voice. Verse 25, so Joshua makes a covenant, an agreement. It is a contract. He makes, they've made multiple of these contracts, by the way. This is not the first one. They've, they've done this over and over and over again. He made a, stat, a statute, not a statue. He makes a law. He makes this, this covenant, this written covenant, and an ordinance in Shechem. And he wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone. He set it up there under the oak. That was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Now, now I told you earlier that Abraham was in this part of the region in Shechem. Abraham builds an altar at an oak in Shechem. You go back in Genesis, read that about Abraham. Abraham always, whenever he has an encounter with God, he builds an altar. So there's this oak tree that he takes a stone, not just a stone, a large stone. He takes a large stone, he sets it up there under the oak tree that was in, by the sanctuary of the Lord. And he said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. Thus it shall be for a witness against you, so that you do not deny your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to his own inheritance. And they all lived happily ever after. The reason that I'm preaching this message to you this morning other than the fact that your pastor asked me to preach this passage this chapter because when I read it and reread it I've read it a hundred times I read it 15 times on our plane rides just this week. I've, I've read it every chance I get to open the Bible, I read this passage. And it's not because I enjoy pronouncing all of the Hittites, Amorites, and all of that. It's not that. It's because I want to find Jesus in this passage. Because when you preach... 
And some of you are going to get upset with the, with the butchering of the English language. But if it ain't about Jesus, it ain't about nothing. Where is Jesus? He makes this covenant. And the covenant itself is the remarkable aspect. And you're like, oh, that's cute. You've, you, you've told us that you need to remember. You've told us we need to remove. You've told us that there's this remarkable aspect of this passage of Scripture. But I want you to see this. He takes a stone. What type of stone? Large stone. Now, he writes in the book of the law, but he takes this stone and he puts it underneath the tree. And he says, this stone is going to be a witness. Some translations say against us. Some say it's going to be a witness to us or or for us. It's going to be a witness that they made a contractual agreement. That the people of Israel said, we will serve the Lord. Fine, I've got a stone over here and this stone has heard the word. And it will be a witness. So I began to do research on Shechem. These two mountains side by side with this valley in the middle. They used it as this amphitheater because the acoustics were fantastic because every music person in the world knows that if you're going to gather a large congregation together, the acoustics better be decent. And it's the place in which God promised Abraham, this is the land in which I will give you. But yet, generations later, this land, the Jews would not even, they wouldn't even walk in this land. They would go around. They would bypass Samaria, many of them. Yet in the Gospel of John chapter 4, we see that Jesus finds himself at a well. And there is a woman who is in bondage. And he says, give me a drink. And she says, how can I give you a drink? I'm a Samaritan and you are a Jew and you have nothing to dip from. And this well is deep. He says, woman, if you knew who, and I don't mean that derogatory, I I mean it, that's the literal translation. He said, woman, if you knew who you were speaking to, that I could provide for you living water, you'd never thirst again. She said, I want some of that because I'm tired of coming to this well in the middle of the day because everyone around judges me. And he begins to talk to her. She said, "I, I want this living water. They get into a spiritual conversation, and she says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Do you know how she knew that? Because he said, Are you married? She said, No. He, she, he said, you, That is correct. You're not married. In fact, you've been married multiple times, and the man you are living with now is not your husband. Well, I perceive that you are a prophet. You think? She changes the subject, and she says, Well, let me ask you something since you're a Jew. She said, uh, my forefathers say that we're to worship on this mountain. Remember, I told you that Shechem had two mountains and there was a valley in the middle. And she said, my forefather, our forefathers say that you should worship on this mountain. Other people say that you should go and worship in Jerusalem. What do you say? He says to her, Jesus, the living breath of God, says to her, 
I tell you, you are to worship how? In spirit and in truth. In fact, he says, there is coming one and I am he. In which you will worship. Same area. Same region. Now I want you to see it. So you've pictured Jesus talking to the woman at the well. And you've pictured Joshua thousands of years before. And he says, we're going to set up this stone. And this stone will have heard the word. The psalmist began to prophesy. The stone in which the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. And I believe that what Jesus is saying there in Samaria is that I am he. I am the stone. You see, there's no need anymore for there to be a monument. That monument was not there for everyone to recognize Joshua's accomplishments. That stone was to remind everyone that God will deliver you. And that stone, I want you just to see this because Jesus, his, his earthly name, Jesus is translated as Yeshua. He is the new Joshua, but he's the new and improved Joshua because Joshua, he couldn't provide what God provided. Joshua, listen, this is amazing because Joshua, he said, I need to find a large stone. Jesus said, I've got the greatest stone. Joshua said, this stone has heard all of the word of God. And God said, I'm sending Jesus. This stone is the word of God. So when Jesus comes to Shechem, when he comes there to the anointed place, he's not coming to be another stone. He's coming to be the chief cornerstone. And he says, I am he. Joshua said, I need to choose a stone. God says, I need to choose you to believe in the stone. Joshua said, I need a large stone so that it will never be moved. God said, I'm sending the new stone so that he can roll that little tiny pebble away that covers up the grave from death. Joshua said, I'm going to take this stone and place it under a tree. God says, I'm going to take the chief's cornerstone and I'm going to put him on the tree. Where is Jesus in the Old Testament? I'm telling you, he is the stone that the builders rejected, but now he is the chief cornerstone. And everything that Joshua promised through Jesus Christ, it has come to fruition. He is the chief cornerstone that can, whenever Joshua says, he cannot, he cannot take away your transgressions and forgive you of your sins. God says, I'm sending a stone that can do all of that. I am he. And when they placed him, took him off the tree, that stone, they put him in the grave, and they tried to cover it up, and no man could move that rock. Jesus walked out, and he was, he was lifted high to the right hand of the Father. Joshua said, I need a stone that can never be moved. God said, I'm sending a stone that I can ascend back to the right hand where he belongs. 
I read this passage of Scripture, and I've looked for months. God, where are, where's your son Jesus in this passage? And, and he said, Will, I'm right here at the stone. And so therefore I say to you, choose this very day whom you will serve. Choose this very day what gods you will serve. But as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord, who is the chief cornerstone and can wash away every sin. The musicians are going to come in just a moment. Wes is going to come and lead us. And we're going to lead you into a time of what we call an invitation. Inviting you, inviting you to do business with God. Earlier in the service, from the very first time you pulled onto this campus, God has been drawing you to Him, speaking to your heart. Don't remain seated just because that's what's expected. But choose this day whom you will serve. And take a sacred stand saying, I'm going to serve the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Every eye closed, every head bowed. God, we give you this time. This is not our invitation, it is yours. And so, God, there are men and women, even boys and girls that are here today, who need to, they need to make a covenant with you. Some need to get saved for the very first time. They, they've never surrendered their life to you. They, they're living for their own, their own life. And they've been, by the word of God, told today that only your son Jesus can liberate them. God, there are others who are dealing with addictions. Some of those are known addictions and some of those are hidden addictions that people have been hiding for years. And when they walk into the sanctuary, they are, they are convicted by your Holy Spirit and they're wondering if anyone else knows, if anyone else sees it, if anyone else can sense it, if anyone else can smell it, if anyone else can just feel the fact that they are being oppressed. And today, you come to bring liberty. So God, work in our midst. We ask these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand this morning? Our altars are open. You come just as you are. That's how God has sought after you just the way that you are. If you need to make a decision, our staff will be standing down front. You come as we sing. Come.